Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am Athletic College Football Editor Matt Brown, joined by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. Audrey, spring practice was supposed to be starting right about, well, tomorrow, as we record this on Tuesday, March 17th. Uh, But Penn State spring practice is on hold. Bull White game is canceled. Sports are on hold. Uh, certainly a lot has changed in the last week since you wrote a uh, spring practice preview. Yeah, uh, it is just absolutely stunning, you know, when you think about where we were, Matt, even just a week ago, you know, it's at this point you're thinking, okay, Tuesday's pro day, Wednesday's spring ball, we're going to hear from James Franklin. Uh, then the sports world and coinciding with it, everything else in the world, uh, except for the NFL, apparently, everything else has just kind of been been at a standstill and it's you know I've never experienced anything else like this you know you think in terms of people staying home and airports you know airlines greatly reducing their flights and all these sorts of things I mean it's just absolutely mind-blowing um, two weeks ago I was on vacation and thought okay I'll come back get ready for spring ball um, I got back just in the nick of time you know it's had I been a week later I probably wouldn't have been on the trip um, but it's just this is where we're at. Uh, it's unprecedented. We can't to sit here and tell you that we know what's going to happen with Penn State football in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Um, because as you know, if you regularly listen to Dear Old State, Matt and I are typically wrong anyway. Um, so we won't hey, let a hey, pandemic hey. change that. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, Penn State spring practice, uh, and, you know, I, I think we'd both be pessimistic that any kind of practice will happen. Yeah. Um, you know, Big Ten has suspended all team activities through April 6th. You know, the April 18th Blue White game has already been canceled. Uh, you know, we thought thought we'd come back and do a podcast anyway. You know, we certainly were gearing up to do a few more here during the spring. Uh, obviously, plans about everything have changed, but we can still kind of talk through uh, what it means for Penn State. Obviously, uh, you know, amid the spread of the coronavirus, you know, the losing some spring practice is kind of the least of anybody's concerns. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's still a football impact, and that's what we are always here to talk about. So, you know, we're still publishing stories on The Athletic, so please subscribe to The Athletic. There's going to be a lot of kind of fun lookbacks at some historical stories and some different kinds of concepts you will see on The Athletic uh, with our written stories. So check out that, and I mean, Audrey will be writing plenty of stories to come as well. This is essentially for us, you know, this is like an extension of the off-season. Yeah, it's like May and June being extended by two months yeah, it's, it's like we get two Mays and Junes. I mean, you know, you can still find things to write about uh, during this time, and certainly if you're listening, if you subscribe, if there are things that are on your mind that you think maybe I should be looking into or questions that you've always wondered about Penn State or storylines that we can do. Um, I can't guarantee, because I won't do it, go out and talk to people face-to-face right now during these times, Um, but certainly we can pick up a phone, and let's be honest, Matt, uh, a lot of people working from home these days, routines have been uprooted, changed. We can be a little bit of entertainment, too, you know? If, If we can help you pass the time, or if ever you wanted to work from home and now you're doing it and see... The struggle that some of us face on a work-from-home basis <laughs> as we transition from our pajama pants into our sweatpants. Uh, we're also here to kind of help fill the time as well. So whatever you guys want us to talk about, want me to look into, to write about, uh, let's do it. Because we have no idea what the next few weeks are going to bring. Penn State tentatively uh, could resume classes April 6th in person at the earliest Again, that might be an overly optimistic thing at this point. I mean, Penn State has a an action force looking into graduation and whether or not they're going to be able to do it in person, what they're going to do. Um, but again, we, we don't know. So we're just here to kind of help fill the time and undoubtedly uh, focus on the football impact here because there's so much going on in the world and uh, sports is a very, very minor part of it right now. But uh, we do recognize that it can be a good escape for a lot of us. Yeah, and I will. We are going to talk mostly football here, but shout out to you know people like Lamar Stevens. Penn State was on the uh, and Mike Watkins. Uh, Penn State was on the verge of its first men's basketball tournament bid since 2011, and you know we know that this was a tournament team, but it you know officially was not, uh, which is which is a shame we didn't get to see you know one of the best Penn State basketball teams really ever get a chance to play in the tournament, but, you know, goes well beyond that with, you know, hockey and wrestling and and lacrosse and all the spring sports. So uh, tough time, tough time, especially for a lot of seniors on the Penn State teams, Um, you know, football team. Again, it's, it's just 
practice. Yeah, 15 practices. <laughs> so far, you know, this didn't happen during the season. Uh, so we're just kind of in wait and see mode with everything. But 15 practices, maybe all of them out the window, maybe not. We'll see. Everything's kind of day to day. But yeah, I guess we can kind of get into, though, what we were maybe expecting from spring practice and what I, I think it it means more to some than others. Yeah. Um, you know, you, there are four new assistant coaches on this team. Uh, and I think it matters a little bit more for the offense with Kirk Sharaka coming in and, and changing up the offense at least a little bit. Um, so why don't we start with the quarterbacks here. And Penn State has an incumbent starter on Sean Clifford, who we don't really anticipate being challenged for the mm-hmm. job, but it still does have plenty of impacts for the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, what I had planned to write, Matt, what is somewhere on my desktop saved for a later date, uh, was kind of running through every player on this roster, you know, position by position, where they stand, what's at stake for them. So I think folks still might want to read that in, in the near they future. Might, and if they do, they can certainly, <laughs> uh, we can certainly publish it. It's, it's there. Um, but, you know, I think, when, like, you're correct. I don't see Sean Clifford legitimately getting challenged at this point by Will Levis. But what I do think is interesting is, could there be a role for Will Levis beyond just what we've seen as the backup? Um, you know, I just don't think, and I've said it before, I've written it before, I don't think we can totally dismiss some of the good things that we saw from Will Levis in that Ohio State game. Uh, you know, his ability to maybe take some hits away from Sean Clifford, something that really racked up on Clifford as the season progressed. To me, that's where, you know, and again, we probably would not have seen that in spring practice anyway, right? Because nobody's going to really tip their hand if there's kind of like an X-factor role uh, for Will Levis. But again, more reps for these guys certainly matter. And the thing that I would have been keeping an eye on, Matt, and who knows, maybe if ever there is a spring ball, we'll see. But, you know, that number three competition between Michael Johnson Jr., um, I just, I don't know where they stand between Johnson Jr. and and Taquan Roberson because everything this past season was kind of back and forth. And we did see Roberson honored as the scout team, one of the scout team uh, players of the year at their end of season banquet. So maybe he's a tick ahead. But again, I mean, both of these guys' live reps matter, um, and Micah Bowens isn't on campus anyway, so would not have had an impact there. Um, but I think, Matt, too, kind of an overarching theme with all of this, when you look at the impact of spring practice now, and again, whatever happens with it, but look at all of these 11 early enrollees. I mean, these guys got here early to try and get a jump on everything, to get those 15 yeah. practices. And again, I mean, who knows what happens now? It's like, you know, you get two months on campus and then everything comes to a standstill for at least three weeks, potentially more. Um, So yeah, quarterbacks, not the biggest deal, but still we're talking a new offense. We're talking new terminology. And I'm very curious, Matt, what are these players doing on their own for three weeks right now? How are they preparing? How are they going through the strength and conditioning program? Um, You know, sure they can work out on their own, but also keep in mind, a lot of gyms are closed, too. So you have that. So where are these guys working out? How is Dwight going? Getting creative, content? I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like the rest of us, right? They're getting pretty creative with it. Uh, but these are all kinds of things that you wonder, because let's be honest. Um, you know, when you look at three three weeks, at least, these guys typically don't get three weeks with their families, three weeks away from football. I mean, this is a substantial amount of time. Uh, because we've seen Penn State, you know, with that May semester now, it's not like a lot of guys are getting, you know, six weeks off at a time. This probably is the longest break from campus, at least. Of course, there's never a real break, but the biggest break away from the team setting for a lot of these guys. Uh, so a lot of questions to be asked. We don't know when we'll hear from James Franklin next, um, because, of course, all media activities have been suspended along with everything else that's you know, been put on hold to at least April 6th. So uh, we shall see. But, yeah, for the quarterbacks, Matt, I don't think there's a whole heck of a lot that could have changed this spring. You brought up strength coaches. I was, uh, you know, I, I actually edited a story by our LSU writer, Brody Miller, uh, who talked to Tommy Moffat, the strength and conditioning coach at LSU. And he actually, you know, in response to this is at least what LSU was doing in response to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what kind of equipment is available and all that uh, LSU, according to Brody has a produced created manuals with five different versions catering to five levels of equipment availability. Like there's <laughs> one version that's you have access to a full training facility. And then like the bottom f- version is like, 
here's how we just find things to lift. Like we can lift soup cans. So th- I think that was that's a very interesting approach. Defending like, national you know, champs lifting soup cans. There <laughs> right, we go. trying to fit every possible uh, scenario for guys at home who need to keep working out. Uh, I'm I'm sure a lot of strength coaches around the country have probably communicated and kind of bounced ideas off one another as well. Yeah, and um, that's that's a fascinating point too because it's like how are all these people regrouping? How are they responding? And then I think on top of that. Um, you also look at guys, you know, you look at with what's happening with regards to Europe and the travel ban. Um, a guy like Joseph Darqua from Germany, did he go home for spring break? I don't know. Um, is he in Germany now? Is he here, you know, on campus? Is he at home with somebody else? You look at the guys in Canada, Theo Johnson, Jesse Lucetta, you know, did these guys go home? Did they stay here? Uh, campus is technically open for special exceptions like for international students and stuff they could petition to stay in their dorms for these three weeks Uh, but there's just so many logistics to try and think through in a situation like this that i'm sure you know james franklin the people over in the building their heads are absolutely spinning and on top of that matt you know you've got recruiting that's been shut down at least um through mid-april and, well, another aspect of that, how about the transfer portal as we move yeah. on positions? Uh, because running back, I feel like, you know, beyond the fact that there's a new offensive coordinator, spring doesn't feel a whole heck of a lot important for their running backs uh, because, you know, Penn State kind of knows what it has. There is, you know, I feel like the biggest mystery is the guy who's presumably not returning to Penn State. Again, we haven't mm-hmm. really heard much on the Ricky We haven't Slade heard anything front. from Ricky, yeah. Uh, but it's but it's another guy. It's, that's kind of an interesting angle. It's so what happens to a guy who's looking to transfer during this? I mean, you can still have phone contact, uh, but he's it's just kind of a lingering mystery. You know, Justin Shorter was resolved; he's headed to Florida. Uh, but Ricky Slade is you know probably out of the picture at Penn State. We don't know where he's going to be in the picture. Yeah, I I did get a laugh out of it when he tweeted last week something about Miami, and people responded, and you know fans on Twitter they were like, "Oh, you're taking a visit to Miami," and he's like, "No, I'm going there for spring break." <laughs> um, just you know, I mean, I don't again, I don't know if he ended up going. They just not. lost a transfer to Florida. I mean, they could use a running back. I, mean, I don't may, know. Maybe we'll checked see. in at least in Coral Gables. You know, it's just <laughs> the whole thing with all of these guys. It's just no one knows how any of this is going to play out, Matt, and it's so mind-boggling. Uh, when, like you said, you look at these guys in the transfer portal and where do they go? Um, you know, again, everything's at a standstill right now. So how are these guys making their decisions? I mean, and again, these are the kind of stories we're going to be pursuing because I think a lot of people are saying, oh, what are you guys going to do with no sports to cover? It's like, these are the stories you chase, you try and figure out. Get creative. Yeah. Get, get <laughs> say, like We've got basically at least three weeks, probably more, potentially more um, to be super creative with things. But yeah, the running backs, you know, Journey Brown, after what he did in the Cotton Bowl, that is your starter. That is your number one. Um, however, Matt, as we know, not number one in the sense that Saquon Barkley was number one or Miles Sanders was right. number one. I think we should say yes. that at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're number one to start the season atop a depth chart that'll probably have an or at some point uh, between guy number two and guy number three being, of course, Noah Kane and Devin Ford or Devin Ford and Noah Kane, however you want to order those guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is where you want to see what do these guys look like a year ahead of it. Plus you add the two freshmen into this, one of whom was on campus uh, in the winter, in the spring. So to me, Matt, that is a depth chart battle that you see more so during camp anyway. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to be. But even the battle didn't even mean much last year. Like yeah. Jeremy Brown ended up eventually prevailing, but that's like after Noah King got hurt and uh, you know, it, it is going to be a battle, but like we also have no like, indication that they're going to stop rotating like yeah. i think maybe a little bit less with journey brown kind of emerging but we also know noah kane is like capable of being a superstar and for all we know devin ford is too um you know based on the, some of the flashes we at least saw as a freshman so it's it's an interesting position in which there's competition but it's like the competition that'll play out in the season even like r- rather than the spring and i think that's a lot of these spots matt i mean i think you look at the 15 practices And, you know, you always took them for what they're worth in terms of it's 15, it's part of an evaluation, but it's never the full thing. But where I do think a lot of teams, Penn State included, where things could get a little bit murky, again, going back to the transfer situation, really important conversations happened at the end of spring practice. Yeah, You know, where you stand on the depth chart, what the coaches wanted you to work on over the summer, where they saw you maybe factoring in during fall camp and potentially in the season without promising anything. 
But those conversations now, again, should there not be a spring ball, who knows? You know, how do those conversations develop? How upfront can you be when you're missing that part of the evaluation period? And we don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, and so I guess we move on to maybe the most uncertain position on the roster, which uh, if we look at the wide receiving core, obviously Penn State returns at tight end Pat Farmuth, who might be the best tight end in the country. They return depth there, uh, even even with Nick Bowers gone. But, you know, beyond Frymuth and Jahan Dotson, it's a lot of uncertainty when you look at the targets for Sean Clifford. Jahan Dotson, uh, they clear a leading returning wide receiver in terms of playing time and production last year. And I think we anticipate Daniel George being a starter, kind of yeah. in that spot he shared with Justin Shorter. But still, it's it's all up for grabs behind Jahan Dotson. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, that's where one of the storylines this spring was going to be about Matt Kippenhammer playing baseball and, you know, what that meant since he was technically K.J. Hamler's backup last year. Uh, well, no baseball season now either for Matt Kippenhammer. But I think, Matt, that's the position group. This is the one where you say, man not potentially not having a spring ball for these guys is huge because Keandre Lambert was here with hopes of getting a head start. That's why he enrolled early. Um, you know, talking with Jahan Dotson after the, t- after the team had their Thon event in February, I spent about 10 minutes with him just talking football and talking about, you know, what's impressed you about Keandre Lambert. And one of the things that stuck out to me was he said, you know, we're pretty much attached at the hip right now. We're playing video games together. We're going to class together. He's asking me about practice and, you know, kind of different habits and things to pick up on. So there's a really important bond being built there between Jahan Dotson and Lambert, of course, the four-star receiver out of Norfolk, Virginia. Um, But, you know, you kind of look at that and you say, okay, well, what does it mean if these guys are away from each other for three weeks? I'm sure they're still in contact, right? With social media, all these kinds of things. Those bonds aren't broken, but getting that speed of the college game was going to be so important for these guys uh, this spring that that's something that Dotson said. He said, you know, well, the one thing I couldn't anticipate was that. And spring practice, of course, gets you that jump with the speed of the college game ahead of fall camp. So that to me is, again, if you get the spring practices, the receiving core really, really, really needs it with a new position coach, especially new terminology. But, you know, what kinds of things are these guys doing away from the building right now? Um, Are they even working out with other people? I guess that's the other part of this, Matt. I did see some videos with Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders training together somewhere this week. I don't know where. (laughs) Um, But, you know, are any of these receivers – are they able to get together maybe with their high school quarterback or somebody from a team and catch passes from those guys? Um, You know, of course, keeping social distancing in mind here, you know, what are they able to do? And, you know, now we're looking at groups of 50 plus people. Now we're saying groups of 10 plus people. Um, I even thought for a second, Matt, little tangent here, but what if teams were to have practices and say, okay, offense, you're over here. Defense, you're over here. Special teams, you're over there. Uh, I kind of go about the numbers that way. We have no idea. But again, the receiving core to me, no group has more at stake this season. Uh, No group would have had more at stake this spring, and that's not going to change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tight end, I did mention, you know, there is certainty, but still was going to be, I feel like of of all the early enrollees, you know, obviously based on his recruiting ranking, one of the more intriguing guys was Theo Johnson. He's the top rated guy who enrolled early, uh, top 100 recruit. Um, you know, adjusting from Canada to the United States in terms of playing style on the field. Uh, and, you know, he's a guy you'd expect to compete for an early role just based on that, those rankings. But, you know, that's going to be delayed. But it's, it's kind of an interesting mix of guys behind Firemuth um, competing for a potential second role. Yeah, yeah. Kuntz, a guy who was very highly regarded out of, out of high school. And we haven't really seen it yet. Um, and obviously Brenton Strange as well. So we, we'd certainly anticipate the potential to see two tight end formations, although, you know, despite the fact that Minnesota never threw the tight ends yeah, under Yeah, let's, let's debunk all of that right now, too, <laughs> Let's Matt. debunk that. Yeah, feel free. I, I just, <laughs> listen, Kirk Scirocco would have to absolutely be brain dead to not use his tight ends at Penn State. I mean, I, I say this with the utmost sincerity. This will not be a problem. I had to laugh when I asked Pat Fryermuth about it in February, and he said, yeah, you know, I've seen people say these kinds of things. He's seen it on Twitter. Uh, you work to the strengths of your personnel, and that's exactly 
what Shiraka is going to do. So, I mean, I think I get it. The numbers are fascinating. Don't get me wrong. When you look at it, the number of times their tight ends were targeted at Minnesota versus Penn State, really versus everywhere else in the Big Ten, they're fascinating. I've written about it. We've looked at it. But, again, you don't have a guy like Pat Fryermuth and not use him. Um, that would be just absolutely crazy, Matt. So, you know, behind Pat, this is to me. This is where it was going to be really important to me this spring is – I think you're at that point with Zach Kuntz where it's now or never. Um, either you put this thing together, you become a significant you know, contributor beyond special teams, or else I don't think it's going to happen. So this is why this spring this year was so important for him. And they've been very high on Brenton Strange all along. This is somebody who I remember when he committed – it was right after Penn State lost the heartbreaker uh, to Ohio State. He had his visit that weekend, was in the stadium the next day. Tyler Bowen was, you know, working on him pretty hard, but was definitely an under-the-radar guy, a three-star guy coming from a super small school in West Virginia. But they've liked him all along and kind of felt like he was one of these sleepers in the class. Uh, no doubt you had Theo Johnson into that, somebody who very well could play right away if they need him to. But as you mentioned, Matt, you know, Keep in mind, he was playing Canadian rules football, which I think maybe was a little bit overlooked, depending, you know, how much fans looked into his recruitment and those sorts of things. When I went to his high school in Windsor in the fall, you know, you see the goalpost at the front of the end zone and you're like, yep, okay. You know, this guy's used to playing in motion, despite being just right across the border uh, in Windsor. So that was going to be interesting. And then, of course, you have Tyler Warren in the mix who wasn't, isn't here, wasn't going to be here for spring, but he's their kind of their project there, their athlete that they're going to mold into what they want. Pat Fryermuth said he saw a lot of similarities between himself and Warren, uh, just kind of, you know, an under-the-radar guy who Fryermuth said goes about his business the right way. So, you know, we'll see when they get all these guys on campus. But I'm really curious to see what happens with Zach Koontz this season? Because, Matt, I mean, the, the talent was there in high school, of course. Uh, I remember watching him high jump. You know, he was a hurdler and high jumper in high school. He was actually, I remember I was at the the state meet, and it was, I believe it was the state meet, the same time that Journey Brown was running, he was competing on the infield. So, you know, you get me to a PIAA track and field meet, Matt, <laughs> you, you don't know what kind of things I could come up with. I don't even know how to follow that up. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let's see. There was a track meet with Lamont Wade one time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, to me, those are kind of the fun stories that you can uncover in the offseason. Now, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with PIAA athletics at this point. Uh, but, you know, you're looking at athletes and what is, what's it like when they're in other sports? How do they look? Those types of things. And to me, that tight end position is full of really good athletes who we might have to say, okay, we're still waiting to see some of these guys, you know, how they transition, but the athleticism is there. And you look at a guy like Zach Koontz, and to me, that's like, he has to be one of the four most intriguing players, in my opinion, on this roster. Well, let's move on to the offensive line where I feel like it's both important and not important to lose spring practice. It's not important because we have a pretty, pretty strong idea of who the starting five will be. You know, they lose Steven Gonzalez, but you have basically five starters back in mm-hmm. the tackles, Rashid Walker and Wolf Fries. You have the guards, CJ Thorpe and uh, Mike Miranda, who basically split time last year. And you'd expect one of them to to flip to Gonzalez's spot at left guard. And then you have uh, Michael Mennett at center. We, we're pretty confident those will be the five, even though there's more depth. So there's more competition when you look at guys like, you know, Des Holmes and Caden Wallace. Um, but. It is also a year where they have a new offensive line coach in Phil Troutwine, who is you know kind of making it a priority to kind of alter the techniques of the linemen. So mm-hmm. you do feel like spring practice would have been kind of a crucial breaking in period for the transition to a new line coach. Yeah, it, to me, this would have been a really just important time to learn more about you know how Troutwine is meshing with these players and. We started to see some of that uh, at the Thon availability in February. The thing that I keep referencing, um, but during that time, Will Fries did meet with the media, and I was asking him about that. You know, what did you know about Phil Troutwine when he was hired, and how do these guys kind of get up to speed when a new coach is hired? And that was interesting too. And who knows, maybe that'll turn into a story at this point uh, in the off season. But one of the things that Will Fries said was that. He had two friends, or has two friends, who play, uh, who are offensive linemen at Boston College. 
And so when Troutwine was hired, he reached out to his buddies at BC for a scouting report on Troutwine. They raved about him. Obviously, Boston College's numbers speak for themselves in terms of what the offensive line was able to accomplish. So, you know, he was kind of getting it from from that perspective. But then he did say, too, Fry said that he felt like, and, you know, Michael Mennett certainly would be in this category, too. These are the older guys in the room, those fifth-year seniors. They know the personnel. So they're trying to help Troutwine through this and say, okay, you know, maybe here's where this guy is or potentially here's maybe how you can better approach this guy. Because, again, you're you're also meshing and blending personalities and these guys now, you know, they have that transition to go through where your receivers at this point are resilient because they've been through, you know, countless coaching changes at this point. But it's been a little bit different with these linemen. You know, you're recruited by one guy and then Matt Limegrover is no longer there and things change. Um, so, yeah, I still think, Matt, you know, I don't know how James Franklin would have answered the question this spring because he's been very cautious about trying not to overhype the offensive line the last few years, in the spring especially. Uh, but there's legitimate optimism there, as there should be. And, you know, we spoke really highly of, the you know, two of the coaching changes at least uh, on the offense with Troutwine and Chiraca especially being the two headliners that we thought, you know, Penn State really nailed. So, you know, you should have that optimism, but again, I'm sure the coaches are probably happy that they don't have to answer a million questions from us about spring hypotheticals and things that could all change between now and August anyway. That is definitely true. <laughs> Especially, you know, there's certainly the, the the odd dynamic with Penn State's roster right now is that if you look at like the most commonly cited thing in the offseason is number of returning starters and it can be overblown. And in this case, it kind of is because the unit with fewer questions is the unit that has far more starters lost, and that's the defense. You know, I think we're both mm-hmm. – uh, there's obviously position battles. You know, there's some guys we're intrigued to watch, some rising stars. But I, I feel like there's far fewer questions about how the defense will ultimately shape up, even though it lost half its starters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it, you kind of start on the defensive line where – the biggest question isn't necessarily who's going to play. It's, you know, just the one transition on defense uh, to a new coach with Sean Spencer gone. Um, so what do we think? Where does the defensive line stand? They're losing, you know, Yitzhak Gross-Mato is one of the best players on the team. They're losing Rob Windsor, kind of an underrated player. But we still feel like this defensive line is going to be in very, very good shape. And I don't know how much spring would have changed that, just as more of an opportunity for guys like, Jason Oway to kind of maybe take command of a position, a guy like Adissa Isaac to yeah. to emerge. But other than that, we still feel like they're going to rotate a bunch of guys and they're going to be really good. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a chance or would have been a chance for P.J. Mustafer to continue taking on that leadership role because he's somebody who they're going to need up front. They're going to need him to be productive, especially as a pass rusher inside. That's something he's been really focused on. Um, so, you know, he it sounds like he's starting to take those next steps. But again, I mean, I think, 15 opportunities to do that on the practice field certainly, you know, wouldn't hurt. But then I think Jason Owe, Matt, I mean, he is my, as I had my spring roster prediction out there at some point uh, in the last few weeks, or maybe even a month, he's a guy who I'm predicting Owe is going to win that starting job, which is not crazy or anything by, you know, any stretch of imagination. But I just think you got to see these guys consistently do it. And Shaka Tony is going to continue to be a leader in that room. But beyond that, you know, where does the depth stand, especially inside? Because you know that you're going to have Antonio Shelton and you know you're going to have P.J. Mustafer. But what are you going to get from a Fred Hansard? You know, what are you going to get from Damian Barber? You know, in terms of guys who I think were kind of at that, you know, maybe that now or never point, he's certainly a guy who they you would have expected more from at this point um, in his collegiate career. So you got a lot of things to look at there. You got Judge Culpepper. Last we saw Nick Tarberton last month, he was on crutches. So who knows health-wise where he's at. So to me, there would have been a lot to keep an eye on with this defensive line, but there still will be throughout the summer because anytime you have new starters in there, um, you're going to have changes. But I think, too, as you mentioned, losing Sean Spencer and trying to transition over to a new coach, you know, how's the new position coach teaching them? Or is he doing things a little bit differently? How are the guys adjusting to it? Uh, Because as we talked about before, when Sean Spencer left, I have never seen players take to social media, you know, about a position coach leaving as much and be as vocal as they were when Spencer left. I've never seen that before from Penn State players. Uh, so it really spoke volumes to, you know, what they lost. 
I think a position group that is in a similar situation, it's the linebacking core where two starters are gone. and But I, I really have few doubts about what the linebacking core is going to look, look like. And, you know, the Brent Fries, by subtraction, back. Matt, is this what you're saying? I'm not saying Addition that at all. I'm saying that you've written, you've written a couple articles looking at the... Putting uh, me on the spot. <laughs> you've written a couple articles looking at the how Penn State has recruited each position. And if you look at the 24-7 composite ratings, uh, Penn State, in terms of at least recruiting rankings, linebacker is the most talented position on the team. And again, that's with two starters gone. But uh, I, you know, as valuable as Cam Brown and Jan Johnson were to Penn State, <laughs> I think yeah. uh, Penn State is well-suited to replace them. And obviously you get Michael Parsons is back who might be, He's in the conversation for the best returning player in college football at any position. And, but then, you know, next to him, we don't know who the starters are going to be necessarily. You know, if you look back to January, you had Ellis Brooks and Brandon Smith projected. I think it's probably who we would still project, but yeah. we're dismissing, uh, we're dismissing 15 practices of uh, interesting battles with a lot of talented players. Yeah. To me, the linebacking core is just, going to be a lot of fun to watch whenever <laughs> whenever they take the field next because like you said I mean it's a matter of you've got so much talent there that you've compiled over the years you've got one of the best defensive players in college football in Micah Parsons you can have a lot of fun with that I'm sure Brent Pry is going to have a lot of fun with toying around with Micah Parsons and what they can get out of him I'm sure Parsons still wants to get his hands on that first collegiate interception but you know again it could have helped a guy like Brandon Smith, you know, he's still very young. You know, you're, you're talking about a For true sure. sophomore. Uh, he was here last spring, so he does have one spring under his belt, but this would have helped him. Uh, you know, you, you also look at a guy like Jesse Lucetta trying to take on, continue to take on a bigger role, already played a good amount of football, um, but still couldn't hurt. Uh, you know, then you start to look at some of these other guys. You look at Lance Dixon, who took a red shirt last year after originally, you know, Penn State thought maybe he'd burn that red shirt, but then they decided to pump the brakes on him. Uh, very curious what this spring, what this offseason still is going to look like for Lance Dixon, you know, because his athleticism, they were looking at him originally for like that that hybrid position, you know, the Cam Brown role where you try to find somebody with the right athleticism who can handle that role. And that's also a tough spot to recruit for. That's something that, you know, Brent Pry has said countless times. You try to get those those special athletes, which is also why they're looking at Curtis Jacobs. They're really excited for that same, you know, position. But Jacobs wasn't going to be here this spring anyway. Uh, so, you know, last I checked in with him, he was up in the air if he could even get here in May because his high school, the same high school that Mustafer came from, isn't too keen on players early enrolling. Now, Mustafer was able to get here in May, so we'll see if that happens with Jacobs or not. Um, again, where is Penn State at in May as a school, as an institution? We don't know. Uh, so there, there's also that's the answer that. to everything right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the big question mark, you know. Uh, but I do think, Matt, whenever this thing, you know, kind of moves on, whenever football becomes a focal point again these linebackers are going to be the strength of the defense should be on paper, at least the strength of the team. And, you know, it's linebacker you for a reason you recruited these guys under, you know, the presumption of eventually you were going to have all of these highly touted guys playing together. And if you get a linebacking core of Micah Parsons, Brandon Smith, and then maybe it's Ellis Brooks, maybe it's Jesse Lucetta, um, however these pairings, you know, end up working out because they're going to play a lot of guys. We've seen that. Uh, this is why you've been recruiting, you know, so hard and whatever we want to say about recruiting classes, they've done a really good job recruiting. Now they haven't always gotten the five-star guys, except when you look at the linebacking core, yes. that's where you have the star potential to really tap into. Another place with a lot of young potential, but just more uncertainty. I think feel like more uncertainty than any other position group on defense is the defensive backfield, and that's because of you know the results last year where teams certainly favored attacking Penn State through mm-hmm. the air than on the ground, and that's partially a credit to how great the defensive front was. But there were certainly some issues in pass coverage last year. But you know it's it's a place where I feel like it's it's ripe for cautious optimism, especially at cornerback. Uh, because we saw Keaton Ellis, we saw Marquise Wilson, we saw Joey Porter Jr. They all made plays as true freshmen last year. So Penn State has a lot of bodies, especially at corner. It feels like kind of a split uh, position group where 
cornerback just is just loaded with potential. Safety is maybe a little bit more uncertain even with Lamont Wade back, but at least a lot of intriguing players to work with. Uh, and it's just, you know, that competition between all these young guys is going to be delayed. Yeah, and I was curious what it would have meant for Donovan Johnson to, assume, yeah. you know, assuming he's healthy. Kind of like the I forgotten guy back there. Yeah, I mean, this this was, you know, your your star guy, your nickel guy when you look at it. Um, but then he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And so, I mean, that's a long layoff, Matt, dating back to the pit game last year. Between the pit right. game and now, um, you, you know, where where is he at with things? And But I do think between Keaton Ellis, between Joey Porter Jr., um, Marquise Wilson. I mean, you've got so many players back there just with a lot of potential. And Penn State, from the get-go, thought that they had kind of unearthed the gem in Keaton Ellis because he was a local guy, a state-high guy, uh, a little bit early on before he, his recruitment blew up. But this is somebody who I think, Matt, to me, Keaton Ellis, what we saw last year, I mean, it's Terry Smith has to be elated with that position group, especially the youth there. But then you add in Tariq Castro Fields, and I mean, how does he? How does he? How can he get better after last year? Certainly, room for improvement. Uh, but this is a, a group. If you look at these defensive backs as a whole, and you mentioned it before, Matt, the uh, composite scores that I compiled actually did that while I was on a plane heading to vacation a couple weeks ago. So never say I didn't do anything for you guys. Uh, but the composite score for all of the defensive backs is a 0.8989, or if you're looking at it in terms of stars, the average rating back there is a 3.6 star. So you have that. Um, Enzo Jennings, let's not forget about, you know, the freshman who was here this winter. Uh, We'll see kind of how they can tap into his potential, his talent, because you can get these guys on the field early. You know, James Franklin always says, a lot of football coaches always say, the farther away from the football you are, typically the easier it is to get you on the field earlier. So Penn State has not been shy about playing defensive backs early. Uh, And after what they showed last year, Matt, good luck trying to get some of these other guys on the field uh, because between Marquise Wilson, Keaton Ellis, and, you know, what we did see from Joey Porter Jr., it's going to be some really interesting competitions back there. For sure. And, you know, I feel like if we move on to the final group quickly, special teams – I don't know how much was going to be decided. The biggest lingering question, I feel like, like you know, obviously they have to decide return men, but that's something that they are certainly going to have options. I think my only yeah. real question, like in the spring, was is Jordan Stout going to be the punter? Which obviously mm-hmm. is the most important question of any season. Yeah, but that's what that, stood I mean. Out that was me. number one, Matt, <laughs> yeah. on on my list of storylines <laughs> for the spring. That was one, of course. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I. I you brought him in for a reason, right? I mean, he's certainly been tremendous as a kickoff specialist. Uh, Jake Pinnegar's gotten better as a field goal kicker. You know, I my pick was that Jordan Stout was going to be the punter, but we'll see kind of, you know, how that – that was going to be a camp thing anyway, but how that competition shakes out. Then you mentioned the returners. Uh, we've seen them a lot in the past. You know, you want to get some of your running backs typically involved as kick returners, some of your reserve backs – uh, so if Journey Brown becomes, you know, that number one guy that we think, is he also the kick returner? I don't know. Um, you know, maybe is it is it Noah Kane back there? Is it Devin Ford back there who could be really, really interesting? Is it one of the freshmen? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it is a could way potentially freshman? to get them on the field. Uh, but I do think, you know, your defensive backs, you look at, uh, for your punt returners, a lot of your DBs that you have there too. And I think there's certainly, um, you know, Keaton Ellis could be somebody you see back there maybe, but... Um, I think, Matt, we can probably kill the Micah Parsons kick return, punt return at this point. Don't rule it out yet. Don't rule it out yet. Come on. Well, in my mind, I've killed Do you hate fun, Audrey? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Uh, You know, here's the thing. What I wanted to see, and I've mentioned this last year during the season, I was hoping they'd give him the shot to do it. Uh, Some people, other reporters even will say, oh, it's irresponsible. You guys shouldn't even be talking about this. They shouldn't put him back there. Let the kid play. What do I care, right? <laughs> we all want to see so, it. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we all want to see it. But I was really hoping in the Cotton Bowl in a day where like he couldn't do anything wrong, feed him at the end of the game. You know, or give him a carry, right? Like Something like that was what I was hoping for, uh, but didn't see it. So now they'll probably toy with it all offseason and tease us with it. But again, you've got an X-Factor back there. Maybe you use him in some other capacity. I'm not saying he's going to be your kick returner or your punt returner. Uh, but I do think they're going to have probably some surprises up their sleeves with Micah Parsons. But, 
yeah, Matt, we now maybe we'll have to wait for more punning questions, <laughs> potentially closer to August. And, I, you know, how am I supposed to sleep at night? Let's hope. Let's hope we get to pun. We can talk more in depth soon, honestly. Um, yeah. Well, before we wrap, we did ask for a few questions. I'm going to. I got a couple oh, that we're at least going to just address a little bit here. Um, okay. First of all, somebody, uh, let's see, Andrew Rubin 24 at Andrew Rubin 24 on Twitter asked. No, on I will not give Andrew Rubin any spotted cow beer because that's probably <laughs> probably what he's asking for. He is asking thoughts on the early point spreads that are out. And he's referring to, we actually had an article up from Matt Fortuna and Ari Wasserman mm-hmm. wrote about um, some of the early spreads that Fox Sports Bet released, which I think. Uh, these sorts of companies are uh, trying to get some sports talk out there at least so we can take ahead to the college football season. And among these early game lines, there were three Penn State lines that are in there. So um, let's see, Audrey, I know you you are a gambling expert. (laughs) Definitely not. Nope. (laughs) But there are three Penn State lines out there for big games. Penn State hosting Ohio State. Ohio State is an early three-point favorite. Hmm. Uh, Penn State at Nebraska. Penn State is a three-point road favorite. And Penn State at Michigan. What do you think the line is on that one, Audrey? Who do you think's favored? Well, probably Michigan because it wouldn't make any sense. Michigan minus one. So it's, it's a tight line there in the big mm-hmm. house where obviously Penn State has had some, some struggles, to say the least. Um, any, oh, yeah, the, the house of horrors but there, yeah. I don't know. I think uh, the Nebraska line is, is pretty tight. It's on the road. We'll see if Nebraska actually um, – breaks through this year i'm still just going to maintain skepticism until they actually do it but it's you know it's a tough road trip yeah that's for a sure. surprising line the, um, the, when you mentioned the nebraska one yeah i think everybody continues to buy into the this year this is the year you know this is the scott frost year that nebraska is going to be better and better we do see tend to see because nebraska fans just want to get on the bandwagon like lines tend to favor nebraska because so many nebraska fans i feel like are betting on the huskers <laughs> and that tends to move the lines toward them oh uh, so with like heisman votes last year and all that or heisman odds last year um I don't know. The Penn State Ohio State one intrigues me a little bit. I have a three point line. It's obviously it's at Penn State, but you know those games have been, for the most part, very very close <laughs> yeah. the past few years. Ohio State's going to be one of the leading national title contenders, but again, you know, we do kind of anticipate Penn State to be solidly in the preseason top ten. So uh, interesting White to Al- see those lines. Beaver Stadium, yeah, exactly. Ah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, that to me, Matt, is always like the the throw every, throw everything out the window. It's a whiteout kind of game. Um, I talked about this before, you know, as Penn State tries to close that gap, uh, everybody, I feel like, or most of us anyway, we kept saying last year, you know, next year really points to Micah Parsons' junior year. This is the year. Sean Clifford has another year of experience. We'll see. Um, that was also depending uh, on, Hamler, uh, you know, well, we were thinking about KJ Hamler being back and we were thinking about five-star recruit Tricky Slade and Justin Shorter showing how things quickly change. Yeah. So there's been mm-hmm. some checks yeah. on that hype that maybe I think we've, we were talking about even last preseason. We were like looking ahead to 2020. So obviously some things have changed, but there's no reason not to have high expectations. Even if Ohio State is the favorite in the Big Ten and servantly so. Um, Penn State, you know, with Ohio State coming to Happy Valley, um, it's, you know, can't be ruled out in that Big Ten title chase, that's for sure. Um, the other question I was going to quickly address is, uh, let's see, Brian Bennett on Twitter, Mr. at Mr. Bennett underscore RHS asked, so, so many what-if questions with tournaments being canceled. My question, what's the greatest on-field what-if in Penn State football history? Now, I'm going to give an early hint that there may be some college football what-if articles coming to The Athletic down the road mm-hmm. further in the offseason. So I would say let's check back for maybe a, a, a deeper dive into one of these at some point. Um, all this, is, this is like your expertise right here. <laughs> but man. I do this have is... a few that I just marked down off the top of my head that maybe we can quick hit on here. I feel like it. if we're going way back, you got to look at the 1979 Sugar Bowl. And Penn mm-hmm. State finally got its chance. You know, they went undefeated in 1968-1969 and were number one, but was not national champion, uh, got outvoted by Ohio State and then Texas. So the 1978 season, Penn State uh, playing Alabama, number one versus number two. And my dad and uncle were actually at that game as Penn State fans and watching the the agony of what happened, which, of course, all Penn State fans know. Uh, you know, Penn State, It's I think the what if, though, is what happens if they – Alabama does not come up with the goal line stand. Uh, what happens if Mike yeah. Gooman is not stopped on fourth and goal? 
you know, what happens if they score a couple plays earlier? They, they almost they came very, very close uh, to scoring there, too. Scott Fitzke was just stuffed just short of the goal line. So what happens if Penn State scores there to tie or take the lead? Do they go for two, presumably, to try to take the lead to go for the win? Uh, you know, we could be talking about Joe Paterno having three national titles instead of two. Penn State would have had a national title, you know, again, earlier before the 1980s. So I think that kind of stands out as like, Probably the most iconic Penn State loss in, Penn, in in school history is the goal line stand, which is one of the most iconic moments in Alabama history. Um, if I wanted to rattle off a couple more recent ones, I would say 2005, you think about what if Penn State breaks up Mario Manningham's game-winning touchdown catch in mm-hmm. the on the last play at Michigan. I was at that game. Uh, the only problem with that what if is if Penn State wins that game, then – uh, for lack of a better term, Penn State fans would feel very screwed at the end of that year because USC and Texas would still have gone to the BCS title game. Um, so, and don't take that away from us. Like in the long run, it actually wouldn't have mattered. Like in terms of the end result, and we ended up with the best game in college football history, arguably. Yeah. Um, you know, 2008. You can say, you know, I'm sure there's a lot. There's definitely lots of what ifs with that Iowa game that they lost, lost the undefeated season, and but again, it's if they would have won that game, I. Still think we saw in the Rose Bowl that Penn State was not the best team in the country that that year. So even if they go undefeated, I don't think they're winning a national championship that year. So it's a what if. I don't know how much would have changed in terms of the end result of the season if they ended up beating Iowa. Although you know you you obviously want to go undefeated in regular season, that'd be great. Um, then I think the ones that Audrey, if we get to the more modern, especially mm-hmm. modern era, what happens if? Penn State, you know, doesn't have a drop pass at Pitt in 2016. It didn't seem like a what if at the time, but looking back, they win that game. Again, we don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year if everything happens exactly the same way. But if you just change that result, even with the terrible loss to Michigan, they're in the playoff that year. Or, Matt, what if Blake Gilligan doesn't make that tackle and then he turns into a defensive touchdown in the whiteout game instead of the safety? That's a great point. Too. Out, yeah. yeah, there's a plenty of what ifs in that yeah. season, which was built on comebacks and big plays and, and all of that. Like, yeah, there were a lot yeah, it was, it was of those calls insane. either way, we should say. Um, what if Marcus Allen doesn't touch the, you know, get his hand on the ball? Does Penn State win that game? <laughs> I don't think so. But maybe, maybe. Or Irv Charles, man. Everybody <laughs> yeah. forgets about Irv Charles. That Minnesota game is full of uh, quiet what ifs for sure. Like, you know, again, they, we've oh, talked about insane. it before, but it gets overshadowed. But they came very close to losing that game and having this season become. Nothing like it actually became. <laughs> and then I feel like the last one I will say, what if they call a different play on fourth and five against Ohio State? <laughs> Sorry Ouch. to bring it up again, everybody, but I think that one lingers in everybody's minds because 2017 was certainly a playoff caliber roster, we should say, and you know the best player, the most talented player yeah. maybe in program history in Saquon Barkley. I mean, I've never seen or didn't even know at the time that Penn State had a Monty Python. Oh wait, I, I'm sorry. Play. I I just I, I just mixed things up too. I just said Saquon Barkley. Y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot of what what ifs with 2007 on the road at Ohio State because they blew a lead in that game. 2018. Was, yeah. What if they get that fourth on five and then who knows where that season goes because it started off so promising. So sorry for the mess up but there's been a lot of close taking the ball out of trace mcsorley's hand (laughs) exactly yeah i mean i I feel like matt we were supposed to do this to be you know entertainment a little uplifting in the midst of everything that's going on and then you just come out here with all these painful what ifs well that's the thing most what ifs you want to talk about like the negative that turns (laughs) into a positive right rather than the other way around like (laughs) because you could go the other way and say what if you know Vinny testaverde doesn't throw an interception on on Miami's last shot against Penn State in 86. Then you know, we're going the other way. But lots of... Revisionist history. Yes. We're going to have plenty of time for that. So there's certainly been a lot of, I feel like, what-ifs in these last few years. As I, There were so many that I just got them jumbled in my mind. But <laughs> Matt, do you have any uh, recommendations for our listeners in terms of things to watch or listen or read besides The Athletic yeah, during well, this our, uh, slow season? Our colleague Andy Staples had an article up at the end of last week about 10 games mm-hmm. to watch on YouTube as somebody That's who great. works from home and frequently watches old games because I'm a crazy person. Look up some of the old Penn State <laughs> games. It can be fun for nostalgia purposes. Cause Matt can watch eight old Penn State games in the time it takes me to file a story on deadline. Probably true. I write slow. That sounds about right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's we're all looking for ways to kind of help pass the time. And uh, one of the things that I always, I find, you know, again, we essentially work from home. I mean, during the fall, it's a little bit different, but in the off season, I am home 90% of the time. And I think it's just trying to get into a rhythm of actually, you know, a day and like try to get up at the same time, try to space your breaks out a little bit. Um, I find myself a lot of times now, I just walk around the house when I have writer's block. So I spend a lot of time inside as is, but I do think, you know, try to get outside when you can safely take a walk, clear your head or exercise in your home if you can. Um, If I can spend a St. Patrick's Day away from a bar, you can do it as well. Uh, that's probably our, you know, our best piece of advice, you know, just call, call your friends, call your relatives. Um, if it takes you having a virtual happy hour, go for it, right? Who are we to judge? We're, uh, we're talking about a spring of football practice that we maybe, you know, we'll never even see this year. So whatever you can do to pass the time, um, I will recommend my all-time favorite TV show, Friday Night Lights. <laughs> You know what? I need to, I need to catch up. I only watch, I've only seen the first couple seasons, so I, I will take that recommendation to heart. I saw Georgia football released a video uh, Mon- yeah, I guess it was Monday night and it was about, you know, staying safe during these times and all these things, but it kind of almost was like a hype video and uh, it was a Georgia athletics video, but it was also like it made me think of Friday night lights cuz I was just waiting for them to kind of turn the lights out and do something dramatic. Um, but yeah, definitely give give that a look. Um, so many good sports books out there as well, but if you like to read not sports things, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there too that I've been kind of all over the place because I'm that person who reads like five books at once. So you know that's always uh, always an option as well. You know, don't doesn't have to be screen time, right? But I will say as we sign off, please do support the athletic. If you if you are not a subscriber, yeah. please sign up. Even hopefully we can be a nice distraction because we are coming up with lots of hopefully fun and, and some creative ideas uh, to fill this, you know, sportsless time. But so check it out. Audrey will be writing on Penn state of course. And, but our whole college football staff is also coming up with some fun concepts that will be coming out soon. So, you know, we're still covering as we talked just spent an hour talking about Penn state football, even without spring practice, we can find ways to fill the space and fill the time. So Audrey, stay safe. All of our listeners. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there, and hopefully we'll be kind of back to normal, hopefully sooner than later, and talking about football as uh, you know more, uh, more of a centerpiece of our conversation. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Dear Old State. Check us out on The Athletic.